الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فملق التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم ذي الشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم فالحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعيده ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم واتل عليهم نبأ ابن آدم بالحق إذ قرب قربانا فتقبل من أحدهما ولم يتقبل من الآخر قال لأقتلنك قال إنما يتقبل الله من المتقين رب شحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله واللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا صالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين those of you who listen to uh, my khutbas on a regular basis, uh, just take note of something today, inshallah, that I will be on an, on occasion speaking about Suratul Maida, and Suratul Maida in the order of the Quran is the fifth surah to be revealed. It's one of the longer surahs of the Quran. It was revealed. What's special about this surah is it was revealed at the very, very end of the career of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's basically chronologically one of the last messages from Allah. It's one of the last messages from Allah. And it's important to know some of the background of when the surah was being revealed and why it means something significant for Muslims before we take any lessons from this surah. So I'll mention a couple of things about that quickly that I won't be repeating in other khutbahs. I will expect you to remember some of that inshallah ta'ala so that it'll be easier for you to, to take benefit from some of these reminders. You see, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was sent not just as a messenger to the Arabs, he was sent as a messenger to all of humanity. And by the time Makkah was conquered, now it was time to acknowledge that Muslims are going to be interacting with people from around the world. So some Sahaba made it as far as India and China. Many were in Africa, Europe already. And so Muslims were already starting to spread far and wide. Quran already called that this is going to happen. There are others than them, meaning other than the Arabs, that haven't yet joined them. Allah's way of saying that they're going to be joining them. And eventually, pretty quickly, within a century, actually the non-Arabs were the majority of Muslims, right? So 
Allah knew that pretty much very quickly we are going to be exposed to other cultures, other traditions, other nations, other languages and those other nations are actually going to make up the majority of those who believe in La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that was Allah's grand plan. Part of that plan is to prepare Muslims on how they're going to deal with these other nations. What is going to be the way that they interact with them? How are they going to, because you know human beings at the end of the day have to deal with each other. They have to be neighbors with each other. They have to do business with each other. They have to interact with each other. And so those, the, the mindset with which we are going to engage the world was given to us in Surah Al-Ma'idah. Now you're ready to see the world. Now you're ready to engage with the world. And the first exposure we were going to have and the primary exposure the Muslims were going to have was going to be with the Christian people and the Jewish people. Which is why there's a special emphasis on our relationship with Jews and Christians in the surah. And what kinds of relationships we're going to have with them. How we're going to be cooperating with them in good things. How we're going to be eating with them and inviting them to eat with us. That these kinds of things were talked about in this surah for a reason. Because this is how Islam was going to expand. So part of that was Allah mentioning a, a few, you know, you know that Quran is full of many stories, many historical accounts. And Allah knows all of human history. Allah knows every single person and everything that happened in their life from Adam salam until now. So even though history books record history, no one knows history like Allah Himself. Because He knows your and my personal history, and He knows the history of all of humanity. But He decided that He's going to take very small selections from history and put them in His book. Very, very small selections. If you think of history as an ocean, He only took a few drops, right? And He put them in His book. Because there's way more that happened in the past than what is in the Qur'an. So Allah decided to take very, very special moments in history and put them in His book so that you and I will understand that these few moments are the, some of the most important lessons we're going to need. Of course, we can learn from history throughout, but these are, to Allah, some of the most important pivotal moments in history that we should never forget, that we're always going to need lessons from. And so, what's remarkable in this surah, as we were going to deal with outside people, Allah gave many stories inside of this surah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, and one of the most peculiar, difficult to understand stories in the Qur'an is in this surah. And that's the, that's the story of the two sons of Adam salam. The narrations tell us that their names are Habil and Qabil. The Bible calls them Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And this is actually, if you think about it, the first record of human history in the Qur'an. Like this is the first incident after Adam salam was sent from Jannah to the earth. The, one, the first thing we know about is these two sons of Adam salam and what happened with them. And that's talked about in this surah. Why was that important? As you will see through this khutbah, you'll, you'll understand why that, that might be very important. Okay? Now, let's take a little bit of background before. Iblis, the devil, one of his biggest, you know, there are many reasons for which he disobeyed Allah. But one of those reasons was that he wanted recognition. He wanted Allah to acknowledge him and his service. And when he felt that Adam salam was chosen, and Adam salam has been given this ruh, and the angels are supposed to be so mesmerized by the creation and the ability of Adam salam that they're going to fall into sajda, that offended him because it made him feel like I've been doing this service all these years, thousands of years, and I've obeyed Allah willingly. When am I going to get acknowledged? Why did he get acknowledged more than me? I feel like I'm invisible, like I don't matter. And so it wasn't that Allah didn't acknowledge him. It was, what offended him was Allah acknowledged somebody else first. 
or Allah recognized somebody. And this is important to know because to you and me, we know Allah sees everything that we do. This is an important, subtle thing to understand. Allah sees everything that we do. Allah acknowledges everything that we do. Allah hears everything that we do. Allah knows the state of our hearts. And the one who we need, we need to impress is only and only Allah. But to Iblis, this wasn't just about Allah. This was about, well, all the other angels are impressed, supposed to be impressed with him. How come they're not supposed to be impressed with me? This actually wasn't about recognition before Allah. This was about recognition before all the other creation of Allah. It was about everybody else. If somebody just wants to be recognized by Allah, then they don't have to be, there doesn't have to be a demonstration. There doesn't have to be a display. Whether Adam salam, the angels do sajda or not changes nothing because Iblis would know Allah sees, Allah hears, and Allah acknowledges, and Allah appreciates whatever I do. Allah describes one of his names in the Quran that Allah, in Allah shakirun. Allah is appreciative. Allah appreciates what you do. And he knows that. He knows that. It's not Allah's appreciation he's looking for. He's actually looking for it to be demonstrated before other creation. So other people can see, other angels can see how awesome he is. And that recognition, that acknowledgement, he didn't get it. And this upset him. This is one of the things that really upset him. So guess what he's, his plan is? One of his many plans is that he wants human beings to be obsessed with that kind of recognition. Human beings, he, he wants them to be acknowledged by other human beings. And he wants to make them drown in negative thinking if they don't feel acknowledged. And if they don't feel recognized. If they don't feel praised by others. Yeah, Allah sees, Allah doesn't see. That's less important. How come people don't appreciate? How come people don't see? I'll give you a simple example of that before we go into the story. Let's say somebody decides to volunteer at a masjid. They come every day, they vacuum the place, they help set up, and they, they give the adhan in the morning and all of it, right? And then at the end, the, the masjid has a fundraiser, and at the fundraiser, the, the guy doing the fundraiser says, we'd like to acknowledge our volunteers. We'd like to thank our volunteers from the masjid, especially Brother Muhammad, who moved here last week. And this guy who's been volunteering for 10 years is sitting there like, hey, wait a second. I come clean up every morning. I give the adhan in the morning. I'm the one who opens up and locks up. And who gets the special great acknowledgement? The guy who moved here last week? What is this? I'm never coming to this masjid again. I'm never donating again. Forget this. I want a refund. You know? And he's, he's upset. He's genuinely upset. Why is he upset? Everything you did in Allah's house, you did for Allah's recognition. For Allah's recognition. But what offended you was people didn't recognize it. And if you were looking for people's recognition, then you should just let it be known that it's for people. You see, and sometimes these thoughts are a good way to test who are we actually doing something for. The devil wanted the recognition of everyone else, not himself, not Allah's. Allah's recognition is already there. Allah is the all-seeing, all-knowing. That's already there, but that wasn't enough. Now let's come to this story. Read on to them, narrate to them. The news, the account, the historical events of the two sons of Adam. Okay, Allah didn't even mention their names. And when Allah doesn't mention, I told you Habil and Qabil, that's not mentioned in Quran. That's not mentioned in Quran. That comes from narrations. There's a reason Allah does not mention names. He wants your focus on something else. He wants you to pay attention to what he's saying. This, the, the, the lessons are more important than the dates and the regions and the locations and their ages and other geographical data and biographical data, that's less important. The lesson is more important. So focus on the lesson. Read on to them the news of the two sons of Adam. Okay. And what does Allah say then? Bil haq. 
tell them this account with purpose. Meaning, I'm telling you this, this story, and the story is true, but the story also has a purpose. The purpose of the story is not information. The purpose of the story is not that you know this happened. The purpose of the story is you will find some purposeful lessons for you, for me, that are going to affect our life. That's why he's telling us this story. Yes, this happened many tens of thousands of years ago. God knows how many years ago. And one, you know, if you don't know the story, here's the brief summary. One brother killed the other. A murder happened. It's a murder story. But why is he telling us this? If that's just the information. But there seems to be some other purpose that Allah wants our attention on. So he says, tell them the story with purpose. When both of them offered a sacrifice, meaning both of them made a sacrifice. You know how we do, we just came out of Eid al-Adha and we sacrifice. And so Allah had commanded that one of the acts of worship back then was that you sacrifice something for the sake of Allah. And when you sacrifice in the historical, the Bible talks about this, the Quran alludes to this. In the ancient times, Allah used to show a lot more miracles. So one of the miracles of Allah that used to be seen is that when you sacrifice an animal for the sake of Allah and Allah accepts your sacrifice, then a fire used to come from the sky and consume the animal that was sacrificed. And that's actually Allah's way of showing you that He has accepted your sacrifice. This, is, this was so common in Jewish tradition, in biblical tradition, before Islam, that when the Prophet ﷺ claimed to be a messenger, they asked, how come you don't get that special fire? And Quran talked about that, but that's a separate subject. For now, this is how sacrifice used to be accepted. Anyhow, Allah says, فَتُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ One of their sacrifices was accepted. The other one was not accepted. It wasn't taken from him. Meaning the fire came and consumed one, it didn't consume the other. Now who was the sacrifice made for? It was made for Allah. Just like when the udhiyah is done, today it's done for the sake of Allah. Just like when prayer is done, prayer is done for the sake of Allah. So the sacrifice was done purely for the sake of Allah. Now if, for example, somebody does something for the sake of Allah and they find out Allah has not accepted it. Allah has not accepted it then who should they be concerned with themselves? What did I do wrong? What is missing in me? Maybe, I, maybe my intentions weren't pure enough. Maybe my income wasn't pure enough. Maybe the words I said wasn't right, etc. Maybe the ritual wasn't performed correctly. I don't know what I did wrong. The focus would be on what you did wrong. But when the sacrifice was done, and one was accepted, and the other wasn't accepted, his immediate, the, the qabil, the brother who did kill, his first reaction was, I'm going to kill you. He tells his brother, I'm going to kill you. Now this creates a confusion. Why is he going to kill his brother? Because his sacrifice was accepted. You see, if this was about sacrificing for the sake of Allah, then you would not be bothered by anybody else. But the fact that one was taken and the other wasn't taken, and the family's watching, Adam is watching, others are watching, because right? a small group of people, and in front of everybody, this one got accepted, I got rejected, now I look bad. I look bad because of him. This is the mentality of recognition. It's the same problem that happened with Iblis. He wanted recognition for everybody else, not from Allah, actually, from the angels. Now this, this brother wants recognition, and in front of everybody, his sacrifice wasn't taken, and he's, he's not, instead of thinking about how he looks bad, he's actually thinking about his brother made him look bad. This is as simple as when a couple of you have, you know, you, go, you guys go to school, your kids, you go to school, and you come back with a test, and one of you got a 95, and one of you got an 80, 
and your mom gives the one with the 95 a hug. Says, oh, I'm so proud of you, 95. And the one with the 80 feels like he just failed, even though 80 is pretty good. And he's like, if I can just throw my brother down the stairs, and there's only me left, then my 80 is going to look like a 95. It's going to look pretty good. This guy is making my, my 80 look bad. If it wasn't for him, I'd be all right. But he just keeps outshining me, or she keeps outshining me, and they're the problem. I hate them. They always make me feel worthless. And this is the thought process in their head. Recognition. I want recognition, and I can't help but compare myself to somebody else. So he's so bothered by that, he develops so much hatred by the, by the one who outshines him, that instead of thinking about himself and how he should be worried that Allah didn't accept my sacrifice, I should be worrying about pleasing Allah, he's blaming him because he's only worried about the recognition of people around him. He says, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to kill you. I hate you so much. To, to get someone to the point where they want someone to die is not a small thing. So the fact that the Qur'an is mentioning this, it didn't just happen that they sacrificed an animal one day and this one was taken, I was like, that's it, I'm, I'm, you're dead. It doesn't happen like that. There's an animosity that's built, a jealousy that's built, a resentment that's built. It's a slow boil on the inside. Negative thoughts are just constantly fermenting, fermenting, fermenting. And that's exactly like Iblis. Iblis actually had resentment for a very long time. Many of you don't know. When Adam السلام, was before Adam was created, before he was created, Allah already announced, I'm going to be creating him, I'm going to be putting my ruh in him, and when I do so, make sajda. So for a long time, it was already known that Adam is about to be created, and all that time, Iblis had resentment, but he didn't say anything. Eventually it came out. The same way, what does Iblis want from people? He wants them to have these thoughts towards somebody else, but keep them on the inside. Keep them passive-aggressive. Bottle it up on the inside and keep swallowing your rage and swallowing your rage until it becomes some kind of a cancerous poison to the point where what kinds of words is he saying? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Because you, you, know, you make me look bad. His brother's not at fault at all, but when a person is consumed within themselves, this is what happens. And that's the devil's trick. This is actually what he does for himself. You know, one of his names in the Quran is Mad'oom. Mad'oom actually means someone who, who, something that is crushed and then crushed more and crushed more until he keeps getting smaller and smaller and keeps getting crushed from the outside. This is how he feels. He's crushed by his rage. He's crushed by his negative thoughts. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants you to think about somebody else and keep getting crushed and crushed and crushed. Why are they happy? Why do they look okay? Well, how come they have this? How come they have that? And you're just kind of burning on the inside as a result. So he says, I'm going to murder you. And his brother responds, Look, Allah accepts from people who are aware of him. You shouldn't be worried about me. Killing me is not going to solve this problem. After you kill me and you sacrifice an animal, it is, it's, still, it's definitely not going up then. So, I mean, if you think that instead of sacrificing an animal, you're interested in sacrificing me, that's not going to solve your problem. And the guy who wants to kill his brother knows that. He knows that killing him is not going to bring him any closer to Allah. But he doesn't care, because that was never the concern anyway. And his brother says, I think you have some twisted thoughts here because only people who are aware of Allah, mindful of Allah, cautious of Allah, they protect themselves from making Allah unhappy. They're the ones Allah accepts from. They're the ones who Allah takes from. And so, And then he adds, If in fact, 
Not just that you say, I'm going to kill you, I swear to God, I swear I'm going to kill you. If you even take that step and you pull your hands towards me, you, you stretch your hands towards me to kill me, if you want to strangle me to death, if you want to beat me to death, if you have decided to go that far, if your hatred has gone that far, he responds, Ma ana I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to try to kill you. If you, even if you try to kill me, and that's how far you've gotten, I'm not going to try to kill you. And this has to be understood. He's not saying, I don't, I don't want to do self-defense. If you want to kill me, go ahead, I ain't going to kill you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if your intent is so poisonous, and you're so ready to murder me, just that thought, you know, if, if you ever heard in military, they talk about something called a preemptive strike. You know somebody's about to hit you, so what do you do? Well, before they get, get to hit me, I'm going to hit them first. He's already told me he wants to kill me, so before you get the chance, tonight you better lock your door because I'm going to come after you. No, he says, just because you've made a threat to me and you have these intentions, don't you think that you're going to get a reaction out of me and I'm going to have the same thoughts towards you that you have towards me. Then I'm going to start thinking about how I can destroy you before you get a chance to destroy me. That's the devil's game. I'm not playing it. I'm not playing it. You see? So the idea here, the victim, the supposed victim, is actually saying something very powerful. People who will develop that kind of hatred towards you, people that will even express that kind of hatred towards you, will make you paranoid. How are they going to get me? When are they going to attack? What are they going to do? And as a result, you might start thinking, I have to come up with some kind of preemptive strike. I need to strike them before they get a chance to strike me. And now the devil is working. Constantly, because now one was obsessed with destroying the other, and as a result, the other is now obsessed with destroying them. He got both of them. And so his brother recognizes that he's not going to fall into this game. I'm not going to play this with you. I'm not, I'm not interested in destroying you. I'm not going to keep, you know, pull my hands out to kill you. This is not saying that if you try to kill me, I won't defend myself. That's not what he's saying. So, this, after first saying that, he adds, إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ I, in fact, I, I'm the one who fears Allah, the master of all people, the master of all nations. You know what that means? I'm not afraid of you trying to kill me. That doesn't scare me. Crossing a line with Allah, that scares me. You should have been scared that Allah didn't accept your sacrifice. If that happened to me, I would have been scared of Allah, instead of being angry. And now that you're trying to murder me, trying to hurt me, just because of that, I'm not going to leave my fear of Allah and fear you instead. I'm not going to fear you. I'm just going to continue to fear Allah because my protection doesn't come from hurting you. My protection only comes from Allah. So my fear hasn't changed. This is teaching us not to be intimidated by those who hate us. Those who express their animosity towards us. Continue to fear Allah. Don't cross Allah's lines. And if you have before, make tawbah, repent, and Allah will protect you. That's the only way protection will come. Inni alameen. Inni, then it seems things escalated. The brother basically got physical and is beating his younger brother or the, the weaker brother to death. Okay, and he's pounding on him. And then comes one of the strangest ayat in this story. Inni uridu bi ithmi wa ithmika. I want for you to carry, my, to, to draw on yourself my sin and your sin. The guy who's being beat up, the victim, is now saying, I want that when judgment day comes, I want Allah to take my sins and put them on you. Not on top of your own sins. Why is this in the Quran? First of all, when someone's a victim and they're being hurt, they're physically being hurt. He's physically being hurt. 
you know, if you think of it in a very raw way, one guy says, I'm going to kill you. And the other guy says, I hope you take all my sins on judgment day and burn in hell. So one guy says, I'm going to kill you. The other guy says, I want you to burn in hell. You'll become from people of the fire. Right? So how is that okay? Well, it's okay when somebody's hurting you and somebody's attacking you and somebody's destroying you and somebody's out to murder you. If things go that far and someone says, you know what? I'm not going to attack you back in this world. I'm not going to hurt you in this world. But I, I'm going to ask Allah that He takes my sins and puts them on your account on Judgment Day. Your harm towards me is going to benefit me in ju on Judgment Day. You know, interestingly, you may have heard when somebody talks about you or hurts you that they're giving you their good deeds. He doesn't even say, I hope I take your good deeds. It's like he's telling about his brother, I don't think you have that many good deeds anyway. So I'm not worried about taking your good deeds. But you know what? On Judgment Day, I'm going to take my sin. I want my sin to be carried by you on top of your own sin. And then you'll be from people who burn in hell. You'll be from the people of the fire. And that's what wrongdoers get. That's the final compensation. Killing me will accomplish what? What will you gain? Hurting somebody else will increase, increase your risk. How? You know, the devil has destroyed so many people. Is his anger and rage and frustration and the, the, the hatred that he has inside of him, has it ever been cooled off? Is he burning any less? No. So you think that hurting somebody else is going to somehow cool you off on the inside? No, it won't. It won't. Especially if it's rooted in this kind of misplaced jealousy and misplaced rage. Instead of looking at the fault of your own, you compare yourself to somebody else and you just want to see them hurt. That's what's going to happen. You're just going to keep on burning in this life and then for real in the next one. So he, then Allah says, فَطَوَّعَتْ لَهُ You know, فَطَوَّعَتْ لَهُ نَفْسُهُ قَتْلَ أَخِيهِ فَقَتَلْ Then the person who wanted to kill, he eventually, it just, his inner self made it easy for him. He convinced himself, just do it, just end this. When he heard, oh, I'm going to burn in hell, I hate you even more now. And he kills him. And he commits that murder. He actually immediately does, and when he does it, Allah describes him, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ Then he became from those that have lost. In his mind, he was going to gain. All he gained was loss. All he got out of this was loss. I take you back to what happened. Iblis made a promise to Allah that he will come at us from all sides. Iblis wants us to feel what he felt. Iblis has hatred towards human beings. So what does he want? He wants human beings to develop hatred for other human beings. Allah even described, You are going to become enemies to each other. How will we become enemies to each other? When we follow the way of the devil. You see, this was being taught to the Muslims when they were going to deal with the Jews and Christians. I said this in the beginning of the khutbah. I'll take two more minutes. I know it's over time. So, you know, we were being told this as we were going to deal with other civilizations. Why? Because the Jews and the Christians were going to say, how come they have revelation? How come they have a book? How come they, they think they have the right religion? We, there's going to be a comparison. There's going to be an animosity. And Allah says, remind everyone, yourselves and them, like the two children of Adam, you're still children of Adam. Don't develop that kind of jealousy and animosity towards each other. But how are Muslims going to demonstrate this lesson to others? If we can't even get over this lesson in our own family, in our own personal lives, if we carry, we don't even remember what this is, and we carry that kind of negativity inside of us towards other people, and others are carrying it towards ourselves. If that's the case, how are we going to ever actually be a hujjah for the other nations that are supposed to see the beauty of Islam? They're supposed to see the beauty and the power of Islam. So this, 
This you know, sentiment towards others, this negativity towards others, is actually the first lesson that Allah decided to choose from all of human history to remind us from. Inshallah ta'ala, in the next khutbah, I'll try to conclude some of the lessons from this surah, or this story, because we didn't get a chance to finish it this time. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikri al-Hakim. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم النبيين محمد الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن أقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا